Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I'm working on a Saturday night. That's how you know it's NBA season. When I, I I had a moment yesterday where I was talking to someone at two in the morning and I was still up because of the Wizards game and because for some reason I'm up at two in the morning. And I said to them, wow, you're up late. And they said, well, it's a Friday night. And I just, I knew it was a Friday night, but I didn't even remember that people stay up late on Friday nights, that that's like an indicator for why someone would be up late. That's how removed I am from the real world. So, so, uh, for this podcast, I decided to have somebody else who, who I, I often see is up late tweeting at ridiculous hours and just sending off thoughts into the abyss as well. I'm sure you know him uh, from the Action Network, my buddy Matt Moore. Hey, man, how are you? I, if you couldn't tell from that intro, I'm 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 very quickly losing my mind. <laughs> Things uh, that's, are that's been, long, that's been such a long process, though, Fred. Like everyone's gotten to see it in real time. <laughs> it's like the best Truman Show. Like we just get to slowly watch you fade into the madness. Uh, I will say I think the Wizards beat was probably a plot twist that you didn't deserve, um, just generally speaking. <laughs> you know, I was losing my mind already coming into this year. Yeah. And then I got a little infusion of enthusiasm right around the Westbrook wall trade. I was like, okay, purpose again. Yeah. And then yeah. very quickly. Russ again. Woo. <laughs> and then very quickly, I'm just watching this team just devolve, unravel. I, I don't know. They're not unraveling. That's the wrong word. Just, I guess, lose. Like, I guess just lose is just just the word. I'm just watching loss after so, loss. And Tell me, let's start there. Why Why do you feel they are not unraveling? I don't, I don't disagree. I'm just asking. Why, why is that? Is that description not apt? Because they were never raveled. <laughs> yeah. You know, if they were. That seems, that, that seems right. You have to be raveled before you unravel. They were just, they just kind of started the year 0-5. And they've just kind of continued on that trend. Now, if you ask them, they they all say they have hope because of the bad luck and whatnot, which unquestionably they've had bad luck. I mean, they've had the worst COVID outbreak of any team in the league for sure. And they've been missing, you know, Thomas, Thomas Bryant had the ACL and then they've been missing six guys because of COVID and consequential players. I mean, we're, we're talking Denny of Dia and the health and safety protocols and Bertans and, you know legit rotation guys and so that's that's not easy like they're they're trying to piece together lineups with guys who would never otherwise play with Jordan Bell and Jerome Robinson and just these guys who were not even in the rotation before so I don't envy that part but it's not like they were raveled it's not like they were six and five and they started having the problems they were three and eight well you know can I give you just like my unfettered thoughts here because I have nowhere else to put them because nobody else wants to talk about the Wizards there is there is no better place to put unfettered thoughts than on the, about the Wizards than on this podcast. So here's really what I think. Um, I think 
the summation would be this. I don't think they were supposed to be this bad or bad in general, but I do think the fates have conspired to make it so. And what I mean by that is, do you know, do you ever use the statistical site, play-by-play-stats, pvpstats.com? I'm, I'm aware of it, and I, I'm going to take a guess as to where you're going with this. The team, there's a shot quality mm-hmm. scripter on there. And it's for, if everybody, if you take the league average of where a team lets the opponent shoot from, what would their expected effective field goal percentage be? Okay. Um, and there's the actual effective field goal percentage, right? And that's like, how are you actually shooting? It'd be one thing if the Wizards were middle of the pack, right? Like if the Wizards were middle of the pack, you'd be like, okay, well, they're a bad defense that has a mediocre shot profile, so this makes sense. It would be one thing if they had a top 10 rating in this because it'd be like, okay, sure, they actually contain which shots they're allowing, but clearly they're wide open. And then you have the fact that they have the number one the second best team is the Jazz, who you expect them to give up a 51, and they actually give up a 50. Uh, third is the Wizard or the Warriors, who give up a 51 and give up an actual 51.6. So with the Wizards, sure, even if they with a 49, if they were giving up like a 53, you'd be like, okay, they give up a 56% actual. To be that bad in differential between what you're expected to give up and actual, you almost have to be helping the ball go in. Like you have to be on a stepladder grabbing the ball goaltending and helping it go in. So to me, I bet in certain – here's a funny one. I bet the under in the Sixers game, which, as you might remember, did not pay out as they scored, I think, 270 combined in that Yeah, game. it was 141, 135, or 136. Yeah, yeah. So lost that one, not great. And that was when I was like, okay, I got to wait for this to turn before I bet it. But then the COVID hit. The other thing is, if you look at the Suns, the Suns before last night were, or before Friday night were one and four since their hiatus due to COVID. The teams that have a hiatus due to COVID, it takes them a couple of games because their guys aren't in shape because you're not just like out. You're out. You're not with the team. You're not doing anything. Oftentimes they're not working out depending on what they have access to. And so, like, all of this is combined to be just a complete mess. But, and so I want to be like, hey, they could be, maybe they're they're not this bad. Like, I still think this team could be good. But then you look at the way that they're losing and how it feels that they're losing. And it definitely feels like the fates have just said, nope, this is a mess. This is a disaster. And Bradley Beal is eventually going to ask to be traded. Like, that's just how things go in the NBA. It doesn't matter what it looks like, this is just not going to end well for anyone. Yeah, you know, that stat is part of another story, which I've talked about on this podcast before, and I've talked about it, I think, in my writing before, where, and I know Zach Lowe has mentioned it as well, where they're giving up the fewest proportion, still giving up the fewest proportion of the shots that they, or I should say, they allow a fewer proportion of shots at the rim than any other team in the league. And they allow a higher proportion of mid-range shots than any other team in the league. And yet their defense has been in the bottom three or four the entire season. I've talked about this with Scott Brooks. Scott thinks, number one, they're leaving the wrong guys open, which is definitely something. And he thinks, number two, something that he says all the time is that he thinks their closeouts are really bad. He thinks that's a really necessary part of their defense they need to get better at, that they need to close out 
harder on guys and they need to close out more fundamentally sound, not necessarily fly by guys and give up, uh, you know, open lanes. And he also has made the point, which is a good one, which is not all even, I mean, people talk about not all mid-range shots are created equal. Uh, A wide open standstill one is a lot easier than a contested one off the dribble. And it's like, yeah, duh. But you can break it down even more granularly than that. And you could say, not all mid-range shots of the same ilk are created equal. Not, you know, a pull-up contested three is just different when it's within the rhythm of the offense than a pull-up contested three when it's forced and uncomfortable and not the shot that the guy wants. Like, you have to feel some amount of confidence when you're putting up those shots, and the Wizards defense is putting offense in, offenses in positions where they feel comfortable. There's no question. That being said, there's a luck factor because they have— uh, offenses have shot such a ridiculously high percentage on open shots against them, which which doesn't really have, it has very little to nothing to do with who they're playing. And it's just kind of luck that tends to even out throughout the course of a season. That all being said, I mean, you watch their defense, it does not pass the eye test. It's better with Robin right. Lopez out there. It doesn't yeah. pass the eye test. They don't stop guys on the perimeter. Uh, they They have very few guys who actually blow up screens, who even are able to power through screens and just get through them. Uh, they let the defense, they let the ball get to the middle all the time. Like, it's just, I don't see, maybe it gets a little better. Maybe they're not 29th. Maybe they end up 25th. But I, I don't see them better than 25th or 24th or something like that in defense. I just, I can't see them jumping out of that tier, whether it's bottom five or bottom three, you know? But but even if the, if it was just they were you know twenty fifth or twenty third, the degree to which they've been terrible would make such a difference in the outcomes of like a random smattering of games. Like all right, you still lose to the Sixers. They should have lost to the Sixers. If you had asked me before the season, are they going to lose to the Sixers? I'd been like absolutely, they're going to lose to the Sixers. The Sixers are a much better team. But if we start going through the whole kind of process and we go team by team and and break it down and look at the schedule. I do think that you wind up being like, okay, this is kind of baffling. Like the Pelicans who have been absolutely atrocious, right? Putting up 124 on them. And sure, like the Pelicans, uh, you know, just beat the Bucks, and maybe they're turning a corner. But that just seems like a little bit weird. And so I I don't know. Like I I wind up – like Atlanta, okay, that's like a coin flip game. They can lose that one. That's fine. Uh, The Houston game, I actually think Houston's pretty good. Like, I think Houston's pretty good. Their schedule has been brutal. Like, the team that they missed when they were out, like Detroit, Cleveland twice, who Cleveland's been decent, but those, again, are coin flip games. Charlotte, I think Washington's better than Charlotte. So, like, there's just a whole lot of these where I wind up being, like, the things would look very different if they hadn't only played good teams and hadn't had all of this stuff happen. But, again, I'm not saying that, like, they're actually a good team in disguise – because I wind up believing that a lot of times once a narrative is set about the team, it's almost impossible for the team to keep it out. And then it winds up defining them. And that's where I, I kind of think Washington is. Yeah. You know, Garrison Matthews had a really interesting quote about that the other day where he he basically said that he said, we we can't have a three. It was, this was a game ago. He said that can't, we can't allow ourselves to have a three and 11 mentality or something like that. Yep. Which I thought was basically exactly what you just said, right? Uh, and I thought that was an interesting way to phrase it. 
I also I have some numbers here that I actually think are, are kind of interesting too. Um, I'm not surprised that Brooks employs the defense that he does the, schematically. I, I I will just say this: the Wizards are basically middle of the pack, and and actually pretty good when they play at the level of the screen. They're allowing a 1.1 points per possession mark there, versus like when they drop coverage, they're allowing 1.2, which is near the bottom of the league. It's like bottom 10. Um, now a lot of this is like, you're going to allow better when you're not doing what you usually do. Cause the team's like, Whoa, they're, they're this is switching it up. But I do think that they could actually vary up some of their defensive schemes and it would probably help. Like they're better in almost every other category when they, other than drop. I, I, I think if you put this team in drop coverage, you're relying too much on the guards to get over the screens and that contributes a lot to the problems. But then I, I also just get back to like, man, t- losing Thomas Bryant was that was a that, that was a gut punch. I mean, that's a personnel thing. You're not you're not sending yeah. Robin Lopez to the level of the screen. You're just right. you're not going to do that. You when you have Robin Lopez, you have to play a drop coverage. And and they've right. they've sent Len a little farther from the basket. I mean, Len will drop sometimes, but they've they've sent Len to the level a few times. They'll do that. And and they were doing that with Bryant. I mean, Bryant was coming to the level of the screen. That's how they were having him defend pick and rolls. But you just you can't do that with Robin Lopez. I mean, Robin Lopez is a drop coverage guy. When you get him, you know this is the defensive coverage we have to play. He has to stay around the rim. He's going to, what do they call it with the Bucks? 29-ing, right? Because you stay inside the right. paint for 2.9 seconds, and then you jump back yeah. out, and then you go back in for 2.9 seconds, jump back out, and so on. Robin Lopez is the guy you want 29-ing. That's why you get him. If you don't want to play that way, you shouldn't have Robin Lopez. Um, yeah, that's true. And, and I actually think Robin Lopez is, I actually think he's been good for them defensively. He has been. He's done a I he's agree. done a good job. He's he's impacted plays around the rim time and time again. But you are right that you need guards to fight through the screens. I mean, the reason why Milwaukee had so much success with both Lopez's playing that kind of coverage last year was because not just because those guys are good protecting the rim, but also because look at who's fighting through the screens. It was Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton. Like these yeah. are these are guys who are going to fight through screens and the Wizards guards have not done an elite job of doing that. They're playing some guys who are getting who are actually better at it now. Like I think they're playing more defensive minded guys a little bit now, but they're they're getting all of their guys back from the health and safety protocols tomorrow. So Avdia's returning tomorrow. Uh, Troy Brown is returning tomorrow. Anish Smith is returning tomorrow. So they're going to have the full roster for the first time in like three weeks when they play the Nets tomorrow. And I'm so curious what they end up doing with rotations because I think Garrison Matthews has clearly proven he should be a part of the rotation. Um, Agree. You know, I, I think Jerome Robinson will probably end up jumping back out of it. But Troy Brown was out of the rotation at the time that they had to shut down because they had too many ineligible players is is he gonna re-enter what's gonna happen with him you know what's gonna happen with with some of the other guys like i am so curious to know what's gonna happen with minutes and also now with thomas bryant not playing you have one less starter in your lineup in your starting lineup who's an actual shooter like losing his three-point shooting is big because now you have lopez hanging around the basket with russ on the floor so now, you know, are you going to continue to start Rui and Avdia at the at the four and the three? Because now you've got around Beal basically four guys 
who defenses aren't going to guard in the three-point line. Is that, that right. going to work? Are you going to try to start Matthews? You're going to put Bertans in there? And there, there are remedies here. I'm just I'm curious to see how the Wizards play this because there are different ways to do it, and they haven't shown a lot of flexibility, especially with Rui as a starter. They're they're all in on Rui's got to start, and that's it. We gave Bertans eighty million dollars, but Rui's going to start. It's like, well, circumstances have changed. Like, let's see, let's 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 see if they change with the circumstances. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We go back to the, the defense. Like, look, with Beal on the floor this season, they still got a 114 offensive rating when he's on the court. Like, I, I'm not just trying to number spout here. But I, I do think that at some level it's like, look, you're getting enough offense. You just need to not give up a 117 defensive rating. Like, you just need to be bad and not the worst defense we've ever seen. It's like, I know, you're right. But that's the whole game with them, right? It's yeah. you. You just need to be bad. The offense can be really good when they have everybody. Okay, you want to you want to talk about the main event, which you wrote about let's, this week, and is the is the story of the league. And it's it's very us, by the way, for me to hit you up because you wrote about Beal trade stuff, and for we talk scheme exactly for, for yeah. us to spend like. 17 minutes talking about Robin Lopez drop coverage when every, yep. every everyone else in the league is talking about is Bradley Beal going to get traded? We're like, no, let's let's talk about Jerome Robinson fighting through screens. That seems better. <laughs> um, let's 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 talk about this for 10 minutes or five minutes before we wrap up, because it's um, it's a story. So here's my read on the situation. And 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 you wrote earlier at the Action Network. We're recording this on Saturday night. So when did you write this? Two days ago? Yeah. So you wrote this on Thursday. People can go check that out on the Action Network. Uh, Just kind of about Beal, him being at the center of trade talks around the league. I'm going to have something up about that later this week. We've heard very similar things where the narrative around Beal has changed in that Harden's been traded. He was the biggest trade domino in the league. And now Bradley Beal is the biggest trade domino in the league. And when I say biggest trade domino, I mean, I'm not talking about the Wizards wanting to trade him. They don't. From every estimation that I've gotten, they don't. I, I talked to a couple people with other teams yesterday who told me that as recently as the last time they spoke to the Wizards, the Wizards were still like, absolutely no way. Like the Wizards just won't even engage. And every interaction that uh you know every I should say every indication that I hear is that Beal has just flat out not said he wants out uh and I think there's still a belief of like you know people talk about well you've only got two years left with him 
my personal read on the situation is I don't think the Wizards are even reading it that way because I think the Wizards are looking at it as, yeah, he's a free agent in a couple years, but we think he'll come back. And I think that's the read, or at least we think there's a realistic chance that he'll come back. And I think that's the read that the organization is having right now. Um, That being said, the league is kind of at a point where I think – Last year, people around the league kind of thought like, okay, you've got two and a half years left. He's already extended. We think you should trade him, but like, all right, see what you can do. It's fine. Whatever. We don't agree, but it's fine. And I think the attitude around the league at this point with the Wizards is just like, okay, come on. Come on. Speed this thing up. Just just make this happen. I think the league is getting more anxious about this. And and. The league, if you poll people around the league, he is the guy. He's the most wanted guy who other people believe should be available. So the narrative around him has changed. I'm not sure the reality around him has changed. And I think that makes this just such a strange situation. It also makes him one of the most interesting players in the league now, though. I agree with most of what you said. I think the team has explored what the trade would look like is the one caveat that I will have. I think Beal has indicated that he does not want to be dealt. I think the Beal has not indicated. Um, yeah, let me, let me be very specific on what I, um, on what I said there. I think Beal has not indicated he wants to be traded, which is different from Beal has indicated. He does not want to be traded. Those are two different things. I think he has indicated he has not indicated that he wants to be traded. I think he is nervous about being traded this season, um, given the oh I don't know global pandemic uh, that's happening. I think that that throws a wrench into logistic things and concerns like that. I, I think teams view him as if they call, they can get a conversation, but it's not going to necessarily go anywhere. Which is an interesting differential in terms of there's not a lot of confidence that you can be like – it exposes you to a degree because that can then get turned around and that information can be like, hey, you know who offered – you know what they offered for Beal? They put this guy on the block. And now all of a sudden you've got to put out your own fires. Like there's risk involved in those conversations. But I do believe that those conversations have occurred but not in like I don't I also don't think the Wizards have entered into any conversation as in we are looking to trade Bradley. What will you give us for him? That is not the framework I believe that has been discussed. I think you're dead on about the league being like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Because everybody that has any sort of connection to the Wizards is like, I don't think he's getting traded. Like they've continued to say that. I've been like, yeah, but what about how he looked on national TV? And they're like. Is this a real question? Like, yeah, he was upset he lost. What? What? No, that doesn't. That does not change the dynamics, as far as I've been told. Um, but I've been also very careful with all this because I do think a lot of this is if it gets dealt, it's going to happen very quickly, and it's going to be a sudden change, and it's going to be something where they contained it. They've done a pretty good job about not letting this. Get, like, the conversation is. Will Bradley Beal get traded? Does Bradley Beal want to be traded? Do the Wizards want to trade Bradley Beal? Not the Wizards have had talks with X team to trade Bradley Beal. And that differential is important. Yeah, so I had a conversation with Brad. Man, we have all been working from home for so long because this would have been like 
almost a year ago. This was whenever they played in Sacramento last year. I think it was the last Wizards road trip of the season. So probably about 11 months ago. And I had this conversation with Brad. And it was a few weeks, uh, maybe a month, after they played in Chicago. And Brad, he, he always has weird reactions in Chicago. Like, they're always the sad Brad memes or the mad Brad memes. I differentiate between the two. This year has really been sad Brad. Last year, there was more mad Brad memes. But they're always the ones that go viral after the Wizards have some sort of disappointing loss. They always seem to happen in Chicago. Every year, there's the Chicago game when he gets really upset after the game because they lost to a team that he thought they should have beat. And I was talking to him about it, and last year it was him sitting on the bench with a towel over his over his head. And he had had some post-game media sessions where he wasn't happy and he seemed frustrated. And I was talking to him about it. He was talking about how he has to be better at controlling his body language, but it's hard when you're just pissed that you lost And what am I supposed to do? Like, I'm a competitive person. I want to win that game. But just because I'm upset that I lost doesn't mean that I want to go play somewhere else. It just means I'm pissed that I lost. Uh, And so I I asked him, do you think that your post-game reactions are a proper representation of how you feel in day-to-day life? Uh, And and what I was getting at was I was trying to get Brad to talk to me more. In in non post game stuff because that's 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 good if I get Brad more, uh, and uh, and he said to me in the course of the conversation, no, uh, I do not think, and I I wrote about this. It would have been in like April or May, on a story that I did about Brad's leadership. He said to me, no, I don't think that those moments are representative of what I'm feeling throughout the year. And he kind of had this open moment with me where he talked about like, oh man, like, I guess I need to get better at that then. And I'm just conscious of that with players sometimes that what's interesting about post-game sessions is that when you only talk to guys in post-game availabilities and when the world is normal, that's not the case. You know, I have those moments where I'm talking to Brad in Sacramento. But when it's like this and we only talk to guys over Zooms after games and that's pretty much it, these are the moments you get. When you only talk to games and po- players and post-game availabilities, you're getting them in their their most emotional moments. You know, they could be revved up because of a win. They could be down because of a loss. They're Either way, the adrenaline has just been pumping, and now they got to sit down and do an interview. And I'm not saying that those moments can't be helpful or great. Obviously, they can, and they are. But for some people, they're not always the most proper representations of what's happening day to day because you're catching right. them in these weird emotional states. Uh, and so getting back to all of this, I talk to people with the Wizards, and they're all like, Brad's been great this year. He seems even happier than he did last year. Last year he had some frustrated moments, but he's he's been he's been great this year. I'm not there to see it. So I don't know what to believe, but I I do think putting that those kinds of moments in the proper context is helpful when people are like, oh my God, look how upset he looks. He definitely wants to be traded. And then all I hear is, nah, he hasn't said he wants to be traded at all. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think. I'll also say this. I, I think the way that players are in front of a camera is very different than when they have a conversation with you as a person. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, those are very different, especially you as, like, a beat writer that's been with the team for some time. Like, 
there's it's just different and they perf- they always kind of perform for media but they perform even more i think whenever it's a camera and there's a group like and it's essentially a scrum you know these zoom calls are a scrum and um at the same time i do think that there's only so much you can control your emotions and i do think you know wanting things to be different like he wants things to be different but that doesn't mean that he doesn't want to be there um however i also think there's a certain level to which i have okay i'll say this there is there i have had conversations where executives that do not have a dog in the fight uh that aren't necessarily interested in beal uh have intimated me that they're like if you're in this situation the best way to get out of it is to not sabotage it because if you sabotage it it turns into a leverage war and that cost anthony davis six months and like that gave me pause was like oh of like you know because this is the whole thing is i i don't the players don't have an obligation to be upfront with us about these kind of conversations because there's no win for them and the organizations definitely don't because it costs them and so this is where i think the inside information is is always a little bit difficult to ascertain um but i have just continued to get the sense that there are a lot of teams that are waiting to see if he comes available and that want him the decision to be moved either way. There's a lot of, I, and the biggest thing is just, there's a lot of, I have heard this question of, I don't know how much he likes playing with Westbrook. Like five people ask me that question. And I don't think he knows because I don't think he's played with them long enough. But that's been maybe part of the, the, the whole thing during this losing streak is I think losing with Russ is a really corrosive environment. I think winning with Russ is palatable. I think losing with Russ is a pretty corrosive environment as much as I respect and appreciate Russell Westbrook. I haven't heard anything on the Russ front either way. I know he was excited for us to come. That's, that's all I know on the Russ front. I can't really add anything of value to that. Let me ask you a question before you go. Do you have two more minutes before we wrap up? Yeah. Okay. Let's go. I want to ask you. Okay. So you threw out, and you you said this was totally speculative of just like these are intuitive teams that that would make sense, not like these are the team sources say. You mentioned Warriors, Nuggets, Mavs, Raptors. If if Beal becomes available, uh, which as we've said, not the case right now, those are teams that make sense. I know you. I know you think about the league. Do you have a those those are the typical teams people say. Miami is another typical team, people say. Do you have a dark horse one where you're like, oh, that would be fun? New Orleans would be interesting. That's a good dark horse. I like that. So every guard on New Orleans is available. Every guard except Kira Lewis is gettable. That's the only guard you can't get. You can get Bledsoe. You can get Lonzo. You can construct a three-way trade if you're like, we don't want Bled. Then you can try. I mean, finding a guy for take Bled's contract is tough. Um, but that gets you a lot of the way there. New Orleans has draft capital to spare. It gets them. If you have Ingram and Beal, you now have two guys that can create their own shot next to Zion. Yes, the usage gets to be tougher, but it makes a lot of sense. They would be, they're already better defensively this year, even though they need a little bit, they still need a lot of work there. Um, I don't think you can put Lonzo next to Russ, right? which is tough. That's one of the things is if they trade Beal, the organization has to figure out where they want to go. 
is if they're like, we're going to keep trying to compete with Russ, okay, then you need to make sure that you flip one of these guys for shooters because you need to, you actually have to be, you have to have some level of shooting. But there's like four to five teams I know that are interested in Lonzo Ball and Ball is gettable from New Orleans. And if they called and were like, let's put together a framework that involves Lonzo for Beal, I have a hard time believing that Griffin wouldn't go for it. That's speculative. I haven't checked, but. I, I believe that that would probably be possible because at some level, even if the fit is dubious with Ingram and Beal, you just have so much firepower. Like, right. Th- there is a level to which teams will be like, oh, this is a perfect fit. We love this for us. And it's a low cost. And then there are moves where it's like, OK, yeah, cost a lot. And the fit is weird. I don't care. I'm getting Bradley Beal. So that to me is kind of the one that stands out that you could put Beal. Uh, you've got some veterans, right, with Steven Adams. There's J.J. Redick. Um, you have good young talent, uh, a respected coach if he's struggling a little bit this year. So that to me seems like a, I always kind of gravitate towards these teams that are, that are young with some veterans ready to win. Now, those I think are the best situations for people to get to move into. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to figure out in season trades, which is part of the reason why, if you want to say Bradley Beal just won't get traded before the deadline, even taking out all the stuff that we just talked about, I'm okay with that opinion because this is just harder to make in season than it is in the upcoming off season when more than half of the league is going to have cap space. There aren't good free agents. Beal is going to be the most, the best guy to change teams. If he changes teams, he would be the best guy I should say to change teams. Uh, you know, ultimately the best unrestricted free agent is like Victor Oladipo this summer. So, Beal, you can get a haul for, and you don't have to worry about not just matching salaries with a lot of these teams who are going to be under the cap, but also just roster construction. I mean, you know, it's really hard to do a four-for-one deal in season. Let's say you want to do it with, um, let's say Atlanta wants to make a push for him, you know, and Atlanta wants to put together DeAndre Hunter and Reddish and John Collins in season and, you know, somebody else hurt her and that's their offer. You know, that's that's really difficult. Now the Wizards have to waive three players. The Hawks have to acquire two or three more players to have a full roster. It's just really difficult to do that in the offseason, in the in-season compared to the offseason, obviously taking aside the fact that Collins is going to be a free agent. So it just kind of it's it's complicated. It's tough. But. It's an interesting topic to talk about when we talk about the realities and when we talk about the hypotheticals like we are now. And uh, I'm sure this won't be the last time I talk about this on the pod. Matthew, anything to plug? Nope. Just make sure to download our app if you're trying to track scores and keep track of how many points the Wizards have given up. No better app than the Action Network app, which you can find wherever you get your apps. Great. And you'll see some high numbers. So... Uh, Action Network does great stuff. If you like to you like to bet or you just find reading about betting and that kind of stuff interesting, check that out. Check out Matt's work because he's just crazy informed and one of the hardest working dudes in the business. So um, check out that. Subscribe to Wizards After Dark. If you're not already a subscriber, you can find it wherever you're listening to pod, wherever you do listen to podcasts and certainly wherever you're listening to this episode. Subscribe to The Athletic. If you're not a subscriber already, you want to read my stuff, you want to read stuff from around the league, you want to read stuff from around sports, we've got everything covered for you. Just go to theathletic.com slash wizardsafterdark and you can sign up $4 a month. That's theathletic.com 
slash Wizards After Dark. I will be back with a new episode later this week talking about whatever the heck is going on with the Wizards. They're, they're back to playing <laughs> basketball, so there's actual news. We did podcasts when they didn't play for two weeks. Lord knows I'll do them when they're back to playing. Uh, I'll be back sometime later this week. I'll talk to you guys then. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.